The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Hi, welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake. And we're on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. How are you this morning, Lauren? I'm good, Catherine. I'm being the eye of the storm. I have a craziness happening around me. And how about you? How are you? Well, I'm not crazy. I'm calm, as usual. So I'll be the calm, laid-back one. Tell me why you're crazy. Uh, we're in the midst of our move, finally, from Austin, Texas to San Diego, California, and it's day two of Packers around me. Day two. Of, so what do you do with the pack? Okay, you're moving. You've got the Packers. You've got the boxes. You've got your daughter. Um, I've got the dog is- that's not spit, went blind two days ago. Your dog went blind? She did, glaucoma, and we're working with major meds. We're in the middle of a major med, med routine, so, you know, that's what I'm doing. It's a little crazy. So what happens? Dogs get glaucoma when they're really old. Is that no, what? Why yeah, she she's went? young. She's only seven. Isn't that awful? Well, did you give her her? Were you a bad parent? I mean, did you get her checked before she got the glaucoma? You know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. It was very. No, I was not a bad parent. <laughs> just ask. No, we took her on the plane, and when she got home, she was hurt. She only has one eye left, so I have. A, I think I should change her name from Nikki to Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so she has one eye, but one eye she's not blind in. She's blind in one eye, and the other eye is going. Is that it? No, the other eye went while we were on the plane. Oh. We got off the plane. It was awful. It's a terrible story. So I were dealing, you know, in the midst of Packers over the, you know, that's enough. Over the top, we have this dog that needs major meds. I've been to the vet. This will be twice in three days today. After I get off the phone with you, you are going back to the vet. You're packing, getting these guys to pack up. What have you got? Piles of boxes in the living room. Everywhere, boxes everywhere. My office is empty, so I'm probably echoing right now. Uh, yeah, well, I, I actually, it sounds pretty good. You sound pretty clear. Good. But that's because I think I'm echoing, too, but that's beside the point. Anyway, so you're moving. What's it feel like? Moving is a loss. Let's talk about that because I think I've moved, like, probably three significant moves in my life. And, you know, it's kind of like even if you want to move, it's one of those moving is a, you know, when they put on the top ten list of things that people have to adjust to, the most difficult things, death, divorce, uh, loss of job and moving is one of them. I think I it's up in the that. top five. So, what are your? How are you handling this? You know, my the first move from Albany, New York, which is where I spent you know thirty five years of my forty, um, was a more you're not forty move. I'm forty four, but I was four when I moved to Albany. All right, five. And then that was you don't really count that. You know, when well, although I'm watching my daughter, who's exactly the same age I was when I moved um, from. Long Island to upstate New York, and I'm watching her, and it's hard for her. She laid down last night and said, oh, Mommy, let's just unpack what all the Packers pack today and stay here. <laughs> so she is, it is affecting her. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, like, although I know. think the primary thing for her is, 
is you or your husband or both because that's her stability at that point anyway. So that exactly. makes up for some of the other stuff. But what about you? Um, what about me? I'm doing well. Gosh. You're not going <laughs> to... Sorry. The nanny just showed up and asked me where my daughter was. <laughs> I don't know. She's outside She's running around. box. <laughs> What do I know? What kind of a mo- see? Uh, what kind of a mother are you? You're I left her in the garage with my husband. Your daughter is. I left her in the garage with my husband, but she couldn't. She didn't know to go there. <laughs> uh, yeah, because all kinds of feelings. I think you know when you start when you move and you give up where you were and you're moving, it, it brings up all the old stuff. I think the. Well, I think it brings up, and I'm someone and probably like you, very organized, and I also. Um, you know, you have relationships, whether it's the vet or the pediatrician or yeah. your eye doctor or, you know what I mean, there's a dermatologist. You know, I'm just thinking about all these people that I have a relationship with, aside from good friends. You know, that I have a, a, not that there's a ton that I've established in five years, but, you know, I hate very two or three. And, um, you know, that's, so it's a readjustment. It's a big deal. Yeah. For me, I think the routine, and you've described it, I mean, these, you've described like all the people who are in your routine. Exactly. And you'll get new people. I mean, you'll get a new dermatologist and gynecologist and whatever, and you'll establish a new routine. But And, and if you're really close to people, especially today because of communication, the two or three girlfriends, you can still maintain that contact in a different way. But that exactly. whole new routine thing. Whole new routine. Of, it's, yeah, it's a whole new everything. And I got to tell you, I'm, this is, well, you have to if you're on Facebook and those are that they're listening. If you, I'm doing this adventure by video because we rented our house in California that has no. We didn't. We haven't seen it yet, but we rented it through Craigslist. I mean, talk about technology. And we sent my husband's secretary over to check it out for us. I had a list of criteria. She said, called me back after walking through it and said, "Yep, it, it, all your criteria match this house." So we sent him money, paid the lease, um, signed the lease, and we haven't seen it. So we don't even know what we're moving into. Why didn't you have her video it? She didn't have the technology. I mean, she could have rented a video cam. This is after the fact, but if anybody's doing this, you know, for not too much she money, particularly for a lot less than you're going to rent this house for, video, have her walk through and video it so that you could at least get a feel for it and see it before you actually sent the money in. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You are a bad mother. <laughs> I'm a bad mother or a crazy adventurist. Which one, Catherine? <laughs> But seriously, I mean, that's what I would have done, but that's in... Okay, so now you're going in blindly. Well, no, no, no. She sent us digital pictures of every room, but I don't have a sense of the layout. I know there's four bedrooms upstairs, one office bedroom downstairs, open living room, formal dining room. You know, I know that... And an open backyard, big, huge backyard, which is really hard to find in California, so that was a big plus. Yeah, a big yard even if yeah. you don't like the house, is um, probably more important or at least equally as important, the right? The yard is more important. I can't tell you how many houses I looked at that were the size of my laptop, you know? I'm not exaggerating. You walk outside and you, can't turn, you have to turn around and go back in. So what's the neighborhood like? Well, it's Solana Beach. I'm excited. Very alternative and earthy crunchy a little bit, um, you know, in California. That's going to be perfect for you. But I have to get back to the video thing because I have this camera. <laughs> no, I, and Barry bought it for him. Barry, he got it for me for my birthday. What did he buy you? Which is like in two months from now. It's, but it's, it's, a, it's probably the size of a, a, a really razor-thin cell phone. Did he buy you one a little thinner than that? Well, no, let's say What? A flip video? Yeah. I got one yesterday. That's, what I'm, that's yeah, what I'm vlogging with. That's exactly what I have. And I love I, it. It's adorable. I just got it. Actually, I just started using it yesterday. 
It's so cool. I mean, so I did cool it, it on so a trip easy. when we went to Warsaw and to Istanbul, uh-huh. and I was videoing everything. Anyway, that's something that your husband's secretary should have had to just video the house in the neighborhood. Yes, we could have. We looked at the neighborhood. You know, with Zillow, you can go in and look at the whole neighborhood and oh, that's Google Maps. Cool. We looked mm-hmm. at the whole neighborhood. It's cool. So you're good to go. We'll see. I'll let you know when we get there. I'll videotape it for you, and we'll post it on Facebook. So we're doing this whole, every day we're doing it, one video and posting it on Facebook, and only my friends can see it. So you have to tell me if you're listening that you're a friend from the Catherine Zox show, and maybe I'll say yes. Yeah, you better say yes to me. I want to see it. I don't, don't mean show you, everybody, I mean though, because to us. you don't want people storming your house, coming after you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you are an author. You're a radio personality. You don't want your... your uh, fans coming over to the house when you're settling in. So I'm just, not giving out the address till after we move in. Yeah, that's a good idea. So what about Sierra? Where school? Do you have p- picked out No, I, I'm giving up on school until I get there because I can't, I really don't want to choose a school based on location. Yeah. I want to choose a school based on its culture and, you know, it's a big deal to have to send her someplace and I don't want it to be just location. Yeah. Well, also, I think when you go to the school and you're putting your kid in a new school, you walk into the school and just you, people don't even have to say anything because you can get all that information on exactly. the other places. But it's it's definitely a feel, and that you have to actually be there. You know, videoing something. I know the location. I can do like a you know a mile radius of the schools that I want to, but we'll figure that out. I'm not even thinking she, can, she doesn't have to start right in September. She can wait till October, even November. We'll get her adjusted and... Yeah, that's a good idea. She's only four and a half. Who cares, you know? Send yeah, her when she's so ready. Baby. Or we're ready. We have two guests on the show today. I just Excellent. Want to yeah, I want to tell you, we have two. We're going to have uh, Tanya Evitz Weimer, and hers is also about adjustment and getting used to divorce, thriving after divorce. She uses the word thriving, which is interesting, after divorce, because not a lot of people thrive. Many do. Of course, I did. Thriving after divorce transforming your life when a relationship ends. So she's gonna, she's written all kinds of books. She actually writes a column that uh, is published across the United States and Canada called Savvy Dating. Cool. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, the first book, I guess, about divorce because usually she's written children's books, and one of her children's books went up in the uh, with the astronauts, I guess. They took one of her books. She's published, she's gotten 22 awards for her books, and she wrote, uh, did a video called Space Songs for Children, which was taken aboard flights of the U.S. Space Shuttle. Interesting. Yeah, so that's interesting. But this is about divorce, not about kids' videos. Uh, and the other one is Crazy for the Storm. This is a New York Times bestseller, Norman Olstead, uh, a memoir of survival. And I, that's all I'm going to say because, boy, okay. I, this book was incredible, how okay. this guy survived. Yeah. And he's talking about when he was 11 years old. Wow. Oh, my yeah. goodness. 11 years old. Uh, so anyway, those are our two guests. I look forward to it. Yeah. So and these both these books, I've been reading books. I have been. I read four books this week. Oh, you're reading for me because I'm not reading right now. Well, you can't. You're sitting with your boxes, your uh. blind dog, your daughter who you can't find, and you're trying <laughs> to figure out how you're going to get to California. So you're cute. <laughs> uh, oh my! You just summed it up so beautifully. Yeah, I did. Day 72 of the oil spill. Oh, God, it just breaks my heart. It's so hard to watch. Lauren, remember we were talking to Fabian Cousteau last week? Yes, I love speaking to him. I did, too. One of the things that I brought up was this whole issue of, 
Americans and denial when it comes to all. Well, you know, we are on the bandwagon. You know, we have an oil spill and everybody's upset or it's all on the news. And I said, well, we don't want to get too used to it because then you become just, you, you become sort of like, um, doesn't bother you anymore, right? Yep. yep. I mean, I talked to several people. This bothered me. And two out of three of the people would say, they did, who did not live, who, who don't live in the South. They live on the, the East Coast near the water or the West Coast near the water. And the first thing they say is, well, boy, I hope it doesn't get to such and such place, the Chesapeake Bay, or I hope it doesn't get to such and such a place in California. And I'm thinking, folks, that's exactly where it's headed. That means exactly. it's, it's so, pro- what's, it's provincial. It's really, not a good way to think because we all have to be concerned with this. And if I can keep saying it on the radio, I think it's necessary for you and I to keep saying it. You have to be concerned. Just because it didn't happen right in your backyard, it's going to be there, folks. Either absolutely, and yeah. you know, so many people eat food out of the Gulf. You know, we a lot of a lot of our food comes out of the Gulf that you can see on lots of menus all over the country, probably all over the world. And for that matter, I don't know for that for a fact. You probably know better than I, but. There's no way it can't affect us. You know, it's just, it's a ripple effect. And I think it's ignorant of us to think that that spill doesn't affect the world. It's irresponsible. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, what happened was irresponsible. And now that's irresponsible. Let's not let the, irres- the irresponsibility continue to ripple out also. Gulf shrimp. This was on AOL. Is it safe? And who says it's safe or not safe? Do you trust people telling you that it's safe? I hate to say it. I mean, I don't think this is just. I has nothing to do with whether it's safe or not, but I personally, I don't think I want to eat it. I would not eat it, actually. Yeah. Absolutely I don't, not. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to say that because, obviously, the people who are trying to fish the shrimp in the Gulf, and so, I mean, if you have a big oil, well, there are other things to eat. Absolutely. Most I even Americans thought about it the first eating that much still. anyway. Eat fruits and vegetables, folks. We're going to take a break. Lauren Beller Blake, Catherine Zox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and World Talk Radio, folks. Don't go away. You're listening to your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. And coming up next is Tanya Evitz-Weimer, author, columnist, coach, author of Thriving After Divorce. News. 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 Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program, Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you would like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, with my co host Lauren Beller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And World Talk Radio. Our guest this morning is Tanya Evitz Weimer. She's an author, columnist, coach. She also writes uh, for a newspaper, which is distributed in the United States and Canada. She writes a column, a dating column called Savvy Dating. And her new book is Thriving After Divorce, Transforming Your Life When a Relationship Ends. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I know you've written children's books, and now you're writing about divorce. So my first question (laughs) is, why divorce and why now? Why now, you mean after I changed my career? Um, I am writing it. I wrote this book because I think we could do divorce a lot better than we've been doing it in the past. I still see so much hurt, anger, pain, and guilt, and beating up the ex, you know, depending on what went on during the marriage. Um, I changed my career about eight or nine years ago and went back to school and became a coach but I was an educator before. I worked a great deal with families. I saw the fallout of divorce. And then I saw how poorly people were putting their lives back together. And, yes, how it did affect the children. But now I'm, I'm working with the people who are either going through a divorce, coming out of a divorce, and they all have the same universal questions, challenges, sadness, and possibilities. So would you say, Tanya, it's different for couples depending on what period or what even what developmental stage of their marriage they get divorced in? I mean, I think they're, like you say, there are universal things. Lauren's been divorced, I've been divorced, but we came, I mean, Lauren, you got divorced when you, you didn't have children. No, definitely not. And you were young, and I got divorced after 20 years with three small children, so isn't there... Uh, it would seem to me, yes, there's the, the grief, the loss, the shame, all the stuff that's maybe general, Tanya, but 
Aren't there well, some differences? Or like the Gores getting divorced after 40 years. Uh, yeah. So yeah. differences for depending on what stage your marriage is at or how long you've been married? From, from my own personal observations and talking with divorce lawyers, we see that, of course, the 40-year marriage divorce is very rare, but when it happens, it goes through, it's pretty civil. It's pretty civilized, and people walk in, and they seem to be ready for this, and there's much less violent acting out. If it's a, a young marriage and they're in their early 20s, I find those to be extremely emotional and, and full of blame. And the ones in the middle years tend to be more around assets, <laughs> if you wanted to define it generically. It's all about the money. Yeah, it, it gets down to essentially how am I going to take care of my children? What am I going to be left with? And uh, the man is feeling like, you know, I went out from under a lot of responsibilities and how long is this going to go on in my life? So those are the different issues generically and categorically speaking. But you still have a lot of guilt, a lot of blame, a lot of unhappiness. And, you know, I wrote this book in answer to so many of the very same questions to help people get through it where they come out of it a better, bigger self with a greater life than when they went into it. So you're talking about not just settling or adapting or adjusting, because those aren't really very sexy ways of dealing with divorce. You're really talking about transformation, getting to a better place. So how do you do that? Because thriving is a really positive word. You're thriving. You're not just figuring out how you're going to pay your bills, pay the mortgage, and get the kids to school. Well, you know, whenever we go through any crisis, you, of course, it can sink you or, you know, it can send you to your bed for years crying. Or you can seize that moment and say, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to learn from this? What is it I want to do with my life? And use that crisis as the catalyst to put you in a place where you actually always wanted to be, but you didn't know how to get there. So here's your moment, whether it's going back to school, finding new friends, starting a new career, having your own home. Uh, uh, right-sizing your life in whatever way. It's your life, it's your canvas, and you get to paint the picture that you want. You know, I'm thinking of the word transforming, which I like better than reinventing yourself. It seems to me, I don't know, Lauren, uh, when you have friends who get divorced, uh, uh, people talk about reinventing themselves, and I think, and that bothers me, because you don't, you still are yourself, and don't you want to take the good parts, because some of the stuff that you did worked, and some of it didn't, and transform it into positive ways of behaving, so you have better relationships, and you, but... I want comment on, Tanya, like reinventing yourself, because I, I, you, who, you, you don't, reinvent. I mean, you don't become a different person. No, I think you grow yourself big enough to include this experience as part of your life. And uh, one of the key points that I make with people is let's not let divorce define who you are. Who you are, who you can be is a wonderful person. This is something that happened in your life. You were married once. You are no longer But that's not the definition of who you are. And you have to be careful because if you are in a relationship where the other person, you know, committed terrible acts of infidelity, et cetera, 
you can become defined by that. You can make a career out of that. You can write a book about it and go on TV about it. That becomes your new definition. Is that truly the definition of who you want to be? So what I'm saying is you get to choose. So what about the women who write a book? You know, these are pu- women in the public eye, uh, you know, uh, John Edwards' wife and Mark Sanford's wife, and they write a book about uh, their divorce and their husband's infidelities. And yep. is that transform? Is that good? I mean, they make- it's all about the money. They're going to make money, but is that good in terms of transforming yourself in a positive way? I, I'm not sure it, it's transformative as much as it becomes a new identity. It becomes who you are in the public mind. I'm not sure I personally want to get stuck in that place. I would like to be held and hold myself to a higher standard and seen in a better light. And I think when you write a book and you're in the public eye and your life is about what this person, quote, did to you, and I've not heard a lot of, and I, I'm not criticizing anyone, but I haven't heard a lot of self-reflection on what's my part in this? What did I learn out of this? What did I contribute to this? What red flags did I miss from the very beginning? What is it here that can help me grow and learn rather than stay stuck in the victim, victimhood? You know, and there are better neighborhoods to live in than the victimhood. I think that's an excellent point. I had a huge discussion about that with one of my girlfriends who got divorced after 35 years, for almost yeah. 40 years, yeah. and was, you know, identifying with these women in that victim mode. And I kept saying, well, where did you stand? I mean, because we're very yeah. close. You know, it's a, and having been divorced, I think I can say this, but you have to take a look at yourself because the other person can't operate the way he or she is operating unless you're doing the same, you're doing the dance with them. And That's so right. you unless want to put you're your allowing it, unless you're in some kind of denial, you have to look at what were your needs at that time that you chose to not see what was going on. No one is judging you, criticizing you. Just take a look at the growth you need to make so that this doesn't reappear because patterns do repeat themselves. So if you never want to be in this place again, let's look at the growth that needs to take place so that you're not blinded by whatever fear was running you, whatever projection was running you, where you refuse to see those red flags. Tanya, do you think that divorce after 40 years is a trend that we're going to see, maybe for two reasons, people, particularly women, have the opportunity to get jobs to uh, after they've raised their children, the the whole uh, not only attitude but our whole uh, economy and political structure has changed so that women can live on their own. Right. Um, but also people live longer. Let's say we live 10 years longer now than we did uh, 30 years ago, uh, women and men, so that we will see a trend like after, like the Gores. After 40 years, it's enough. And I, do, I do think it's a trend, and I think part of it is because we are living longer and because we probably spent most of those 40 years taking care of everyone else. I think if you can see that you've got a couple more chapters in your life, you might want to stop and say, is this where I want to be, and what about me? Maybe it's my turn to go and, you know, sail around the world, meet new friends, whatever it is that I didn't get to do 
or I never even dreamed of doing because I had responsibilities. I had children. I had a family. I had parents. I had a job. I had all of these things I absolutely wanted to be responsible for. But now those uh, reasons to be together have dropped away. Then you get to look at, do I still want to go through the next chapters with this person, or do I want to create a new life? And I think it's very possible it could be a trend because we are living longer. I think so, too. I think that it's a, I I look at it in terms of developmental stages, and maybe this is a different stage of life, a new stage, you know, um, after 40 years of marriage and, and you're 65, 70 years old, and you've got 15 or 20 years left. Good years exactly. left. Exactly. <laughs> so Hopefully good years left. Head. And if you're a woman, then do this is a terrible thing to say, but you know what? Then you're going to end up taking care of your sick husband, and you've been a caretaker your whole life. Yes. <clears throat> and if, you're, if you were always just crazy about him, if you made a conscious choice, and not many of us do when we're in our 20s, but if you may, and the divorce rate is much lower for people who get married after 35 and who are educated. But if you make a conscious choice, I'm crazy about this person. I'm not settling. I'm not projecting. I'm not desperate. I have a great life. And, you know, my, my husband and I said the other day, you know, I'm just nuts about you. <laughs> and I said, I know I'm just nuts about you, too. So... If I thought you were going to say, I'm just nuts about me also. Yeah. Well, no. He, I had just done some TV shows, and he called me up, and he said, you were just fabulous. Yeah. You were so fabulous. And I thought, you know, I can go through life with support like this. This is wonderful. But if it weren't there, I'd be thinking twice about it. Yeah. What a great guy. So you're yeah. the right person to write this book. I want to, uh, we're going to say, we have to say goodbye. So I want oh. uh, everyone to know Thriving After Divorce, you can buy it online, bookstores everywhere. And you have a great website, which is Tanya Weimer, T-O-N-J-A-W-E-I-M-E-R.com. So go to the website, lots of other topics that we didn't get to do on the show. But um, yeah. Great having you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Catherine Zox and Lauren Beller-Blake. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. We will be back shortly with the author of Crazy for the Storm, Norman Olstad. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. 
Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox your social worker with a microphone, and my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake, and you're listening to us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And our next guest is Norman Olstead. He is the author of Crazy for the Storm, which is, we call it a memoir of survival. On February 19, 1979, I was in a plane crash with my father, his girlfriend, Sandra, and the pilot of our chartered Cessna. Sandra was 30 years old. My dad was 43. I was 11. Just after sunrise, we slammed into a rugged 8,600-foot mountain engulfed in a blizzard. By the end of our nine-hour ordeal, I was the only survivor. Welcome to the show, Norman. Nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. So now you uh, you are a uh, creative writer, obviously. I read this book last week, and um, you have a son of your own who's nine years old. Yep, yep. This is, I have to say, Lauren, this is like an amazing, I don't see how you did it, 11 years old at the top of the mountain, 8,000 feet up, and you survived this crash. Um, what made you at this point decide to write about that experience? at this point in your life? Well, um, when my son was about five or six years old, um, we we were doing the same things together that I did with my father. You know, I was sharing those passions, especially skiing and surfing. And often it was in the same places that I would do this with my father. And um, so I was sort of reliving that life um, to a certain degree and um, talking about it with my son and telling sharing stories about what I did with my dad here or there and um, at some point uh, I began to realize that that the life I live with my dad was you know maybe worth sharing with other people and had some valuable information in it um, of good attitudes and perspective on life so I, I decided to write the book yeah, and it does. It gives you, uh, well, obviously an insight into how you lived your life, but I, I want to backtrack because you came from a divorced family, and that was certainly part of the story. And, yeah. uh, you know, a stepfather who was, I guess, it, to me it sounded like you were ambivalent about. He was 
cool, and then he was positive, and there was a, there was a lot of stuff there. So you had to juggle a lot of things when you were very young. Your parents were how old were you when they did that? Uh, well, I was about two and a half, three years old when they yeah. split up. So you grew up in a divorced family. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you were with your in your father. I mean, he was one of these. Talk to us about your your father, your stepfather, your mother, because I think. Well, yeah, that was. I mean, I think just. Topanga Beach was, first of all, where I grew up, uh, was a pretty wild place. California. It had a kind of rawness, yeah, down at the beach in Malibu. And um, it was very raw, and uh, the 60s were, you know, really happening there, and, and the early 70s, all that stuff was still going on. And um, there was a lot of people to, to negotiate. Um, my mom had a boyfriend who was pretty dogmatic and intense and probably fighting off his own demons somewhat through me and so you had to kind of learn how to deal with him uh i did just to get by to get through the day and or the night and um, my father on the other hand was taking me on these beautiful adventures but it was scary a lot of the time you know going down to mexico um for surf adventures or just right in front of the house and and skiing in the western part of the united states backcountry skiing, powder skiing, and storms. So um, I was dealing with fear, uh, having to uh, think on my feet, you know, whether I was at home with my mom or out on an adventure with my father. So these sorts of things taught me how to survive and how to, and how to navigate the world. And, um, and they, you know, I think they came in handy that day. I was in an airplane crash and found myself on my own. And besides doing that, I mean, it always sounded like you always had to be, you kind of, at, a, at such a young age, always on your, always alert, always on your toe, always alert, I guess would be the word, always be aware. Yeah. Um, I mean, and your father was doing things with you that today, they would probably take take you away from him. I mean, you were doing these, like, extreme sports almost, right? You, you know, on the on his yeah. back when he, you know, as a kid. I think there's a pic. That's the front cover of the book. He's surfing in the ocean, and you're uh, straddling his back while he's doing this surfing thing, which could be really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that the, I'm strapped on with a papoose, but um, that's in front of our home break. And, <clears throat> you know, it's a wave my father knew very well, and it was only two feet, and... Uh, so I think it kind of looks worse than it is, but it also, there's two sides to it. There's that side and there's the side that this is an example of him saying, hey, this is a beautiful thing. I want to get you involved right away. Check this out. And he always had a very positive, loving attitude. It was never, you got to win. you got to be the best. You know, I'm trying to show you off. It was about sharing that passion and, and, and tapping me into how to enjoy life. And then he got you into skiing. Right, you were yeah. uh, at a young age, and you, but you did become a champion. I mean, in, in school, and you won uh, events, skiing events, downhill. Yeah, I uh, I started skiing when I was three, and um, by the time I was four and five, he, he'd take me to Europe twice, and and um, I was started racing. Um, I was about seven or eight here in the states, and um, and I, I started doing pretty well right before the airplane crash. It started to come together, even though I was smaller and I came from the beach and I was racing against these mountain kids. I finally caught up to them. And, um, yeah, it was great because it, it proved that if you just kept at it and you worked hard, you, you could achieve something. So that part of it was great. And um, 
there's a lot of great adventures that went along with it and uh, learning about life and learning about myself. Although sometimes I would have rather gone to a birthday party, but I went to plenty of those anyway. You know, um, we did we did do a lot of adventures in lieu of uh, childhood stuff. So the difference between the way you were brought up and the way your son is being brought up, tell us that because I think that kids today, I mean, I'm thinking about the, I want to get the background of how you were, what you're sharing with us and then we get to the point of the, the, uh, the accident, the plane accident, and then how the way you were raised impacted on your ability to survive. So um, is this how you're raising your own son in, 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 in a similar way um, that your dad or your mother or your stepfather raised you? Um, mostly it's about my dad. I mean, I'm sharing the passions with my son that my dad shared with me and, and introducing to him ways to really enjoy life, get in touch with yourself, kind of have a healthy uh, experience, and uh, places you go to clear your mind. Surfing and skiing are the main ones for us. And it's, it gives us something to do together. In, uh, we do other things together, but it kind of has this this intensity that uh, – creates a bond between us that's, uh, you know, I think for men really important. And um, so I share that, but I, I don't push as hard as my father did. And I definitely negotiate with him and let him sort of come to these things on his own. I offer and offer and put him in the position and expose him. And if he takes to it, like he has with skiing and surfing, then great. Hockey, he never took to, so we let that go, you know, these kind of things. So it's a little more open-ended. Yeah, I think today, and I obviously have a point of view, but I think that with a lot of our of children today, I mean, I think here in the in, in our country, anyway, that we infantilize kids. I, I don't think that we prepare them for the kind of thing that uh, that you and not everybody's going to wind up on the top of the mountain having to survive a plane crash. But uh, even I think that we do so much to and I, I keep using the word infantilize our children, not allowing them to make their own decisions, making decisions for them, uh, you know, whether it's calling on a cell phone three times a day to get our opinion or, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. I'm not sure how helpful they are in terms of when you have something to face like you had to face or even other obstacles that you're prepared to do that as a kid, you know, as if, if you have this kind of uh, cushy growing up. Experience. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that that part of it is that you, you have to you have to share the world that that's going on out there with your children. You can make it fun, you can make it adventurous, but to sort of sort of just you know wrap them in this in this sheltered experience and pretend it's all not happening and these things aren't going on is not fair. Because I write in the book that the mountain was one thing, but then when I got down from the mountain. The stuff my father taught me, you know, just in regular life was much more useful in a lot of ways. Just, you know, I had to go just face life, you know, my mother's boyfriend. We're all going to have people that, that come at us and storms that come at us that we have to navigate. And if you haven't done it if you haven't had to trust yourself, it's hard to just suddenly do it. Yeah, trust yourself and trust your judgment. And yeah. I think what is so clear in the book and you keep saying it, but that whole that relation, having that that relationship with your father, I mean, and, and trusting him, and and uh, I guess I mean that's the crux of the whole thing, having the relationship, and and 
Let's talk about what happened on that day because it was uh, you were getting ready to go to a ski event, and um, I'll let you describe it. Yeah, we were. <clears throat> I had won a, a ski race the day before, and I came back to play a hockey game. Um, and this is in the mountains out of near Los Angeles. And so the next morning, uh, we had to go back to the trophy ceremony, and um, my dad had chartered a Cessna through a company at a Santa Monica airport to fly us up there and fly us back. It would be like a 30, 35-minute flight as opposed to a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive each way. So um, he did it kind of on a lark and, and just as a fun luxury. And the plane took off, and uh, we hit a storm pretty much right away. And um, soon enough, we were just buried in this storm. We couldn't see anything. We were just kind of bouncing around. And I saw a limb come out of the fog didn't didn't believe it. It disappeared right away. I thought, it's a trick of light. And then I saw another one and realized, oh, we're, we're in the trees. And um, I yelled, watch out, and I curled up my body. And the last thing I remember is three thuds that went through me, you know, really hit me. When I woke up, I was in a plane seat that was detached from the plane, and there was pieces of the plane scattered around it was a blizzard and uh, fog, fog and driven snow kind of mixed together. And soon I determined that we were on the north or on the side of a mountain. Turned out to be the north side of this mountain on a very icy slope, about a 50 degree pitch. And um, <clears throat> I'm the first movements I made, pieces of the plane dropped away from like kind of off my hip and disappeared into the fog. So I knew, okay, we're on something steep and icy, and I have to be careful. Were you terrified? I mean, I mean, you. I mean, that's very rational, very cognitive. Is that how you responded? I mean, there were, or were you frightened? You know, I was, I was frightened, but more involved in in you know what was at my fingertips and what was before me, what I had to deal with. You know, I was trying to put together, you know, first I thought it was a dream, then, okay, it's not a dream. I saw the pilot's body. He was clearly dead. Okay, you know, we're in an airplane crash. You know, where is my dad? Where is Sandra? So We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, obviously we're going to find out what happened to you. we're talking to Norman Olsted, author of Crazy for the Storm, which is his memoir of survival. It's an amazing story. So uh, don't, don't go away. You're listening to Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, Lauren Bella Blake on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experienced Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. 
Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back with Norman Olstead, author of Crazy for the Storm, a memoir of survival. Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and Lauren Beller-Blake. Uh, we just started to talk to Norman about his survival experience. We got we are at the top of the mountain, and the plane has just crashed, and you just, Norman, realized that the plane had crashed, and the pilot is dead. And yes. Yeah. So the next thing, um, I, I sort of crawled around very carefully on this, I call it a chute, which is like a steep gully. And uh, I, I heard Sandra above me, and I found her. Just remember, there's driving snow and fog, so people kind of go in and out of visibility. And um, <clears throat> then she had a dislocated shoulder and a wound in her head, and then I crossed back towards my seat and I, my father was actually right behind my seat. I hadn't seen him there before. And, um, he was folded over, uh, kind of in the sitting position. I could not wake him up or get him to respond. And, um, so at a certain point I, I discovered a wing that had broken off. The plane was lodged at the base of a tree on, on the edge of the chute. And I helped Sandra over to that wing, and we got under and took shelter in there. Then, um, I mean, so much happened, but I just get to the big points. And a helicopter, I heard the noise of a helicopter and realized that there was sort of pockets in the storm that had broken up. And I got out from the wing and out from this long-reaching limbs and waved to the helicopter, and it kind of hovered above me. Um, then it took off. It didn't see me. I realized it didn't see me. But at that point, way down below, down some canyons and ravines, I saw the rooftop of a cabin just sort of in the middle of the wilderness. And I made a little map in my mind of how I might ski there. And then I went back to the wing, and uh, later on, the storm, another wave of the storm came, and it was windier and colder and snowing even harder. And I convinced Sandra, basically told her, look, I'm going down. I'm going to go down to this cabin I saw, and I'm not staying up here. And she reluctantly followed me, and we got on our stomachs and began inching down this ice chute. You know, when you talk about her and her response, because you just said it, she reluctantly followed you, and you said, I'm going, and that's it. 
I mean, like, it struck me in the book, it's like both of you had, I mean, you somehow had this, like, I don't want to say will to live or a positive attitude. You were just going to go and you were going to do it. And she, at least it felt to me, was rather passive about it. She didn't have that same kind of spirit that you did. It was a kind of a giving up. And that you're the one that at least tried to help her to to to, to get down the mountain. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the book is really a tribute to my father, and and the idea that I was raised by him to to sort of go for it and to understand it's not it's not that I was in denial of what was going on, but I I, I was somehow mature enough intellectually that I, I understood that that stuff wasn't going to help me. I mean, the idea of, yeah, I, I was afraid and this is a horrible situation, but that, it just doesn't apply necessarily to getting down the mountain. You know, what I had to deal with was the ice moving slowly because if you slipped an inch, you were going to shoot off down into those clouds and who knows where. Uh, another thing is that I was somewhat comfortable in storms. I'd been in a lot of storms with my father hunting around for powder. So that didn't shake me up that much. I just sort of knew how to stay close to the ground and feel my way. Um, and and Sandra didn't. She just, you know, she wasn't really a skier or anything, and she didn't go powder skiing with us, and, and um, she wasn't raised the way I was raised. And so for her, she was into, you know, my dad was dead or, you know, Norm's dead and, and into all the all the fear and um it was strange because i realized it was there i just i just it was in a different space and uh, part of it was shock and part of it was just how i was raised yeah and i think reading it as a parent i mean i i was thinking like wow i mean that relationship with your father and what he did for you and how that impacted you and it saved your life and you saved your life but like it's really inspirational i mean it's like what this is the kind of thing that one would want to emulate a parent-child relationship to do, not in the same way, or that, you know, you do every, you know, parent does different things for their kids, but that whatever it was that he imparted in you, all of that um, got, helped you to be able to survive this, this you know, horrific crisis. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was dedicated to me. He spent a lot of time. He took me with him when when he went down to Mexico or, went to Europe, you know, he involved me in his life and he showed me the world. And, and most importantly is I felt his passion. I felt that and I saw it and I sort of got into that stream with him and had those experiences of, you know, chasing down waves and that often it was a hard road to get to the good stuff. So I kind of like, you know, it wasn't like he sat me down and told me, oh, this is about life. Those are just words. We just went out and lived this certain way. Um, I guess if you boil it down, it's just him sharing his passion with me and me feeling that he he trusts me and has so much sort of uh, belief in me that, that he takes me out into the world. And um, and that just got instilled in me. And, 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 and I guess that if you're a parent, that's like a really one of the great gifts you can give your kid. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, we we're, we only have a couple minutes left, but I think leaving it on that, and, and then listeners have to, you know, get the book, read your book, and read the story. But that issue of trust, feeling that your parent or parents trust you, and mm-hmm. then you begin to trust yourself. 
And I think some of that's really lacking today. So that's why I think your your story is so important. Because I think parents today tend to trust themselves, and they're always, I get back to this over-parenting kind of thing. So I really, that's what I, that's, um, I think that's kind of like leave it on that, because I think that whole relationship, that trusting, as you, you just said, I'm not going to say it again, but um, is all part of this story. Uh, where can we website to go to? Um, is there one is there, for li- listeners yeah, to go crazy, to? Yeah, crazycrazyforthestorm.com. Yep. Crazy it's a lot yep. of fun. It has, like, great old footage of, of the 60s and 70s in Topanga Beach in Mexico. It has some old footage of me being interviewed yep. the day after the crash. So a lot of people enjoy it. Terrific. Great having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for sharing the story. Norman Olstead, and I'm going to repeat that again, Crazy for the Storm, a Memoir of Survival. Have a good day. You too. Yeah. You've been listening to The Catherine Zock Show with Lauren Beller blake We're going to say goodbye. It's on voiceamericavariety.com. Uh, have a great day, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zock Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.